Okay. Let's uh, let's pray and uh, let's see. Aaron online this morning. Hi, Aaron. All right. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the God who has provided a way for us to have eternal life. We do, as Larry often prays, thank you for forgiveness of sin. But I thank you also for solving the root cause of sin among us. You didn't just pay the debt of the sins and the transgressions in this life, but you took care of the heart, the root cause of it, for the next. That begins now. As we saw in detail last Sunday, uh, that great, great statement of the Lord here in our chapter, you are the resurrection and the life. You are both for the believer, both our, our spiritual and our physical resurrection and rebirth and regeneration. And we thank you for that, that you, um, to put it bluntly, are the complete package. You've left no stone unturned. There's nothing um, that is left out or forgotten. Uh, every I is dotted, every T is crossed in your great plan of salvation. We thank you for that. Help us as we continue on today in this, in this chapter and we take a look at the emotional responses um, to, to come to a right understanding of your word by your Holy Spirit. Not so we can just fill our heads with knowledge, but as Larry prayed earlier, that we can be faithful uh, to obey. And, uh, and, uh, so just bless your word for your glory in Jesus' name. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so last time we focused. Does anybody else need water? Thank you. So I can carry water. Well, I was just seeing anybody else. Need water. <laughs> anybody else need water? Right here. Thank you. Last time we spent uh, pretty much the entire time in verses twenty-five and twenty-six, right? And uh, so I won't belabor that, other than to just quickly summarize. Really what Jesus is doing, if, if you're looking for a very short summary of, the, of really the whole message of the Gospel of John, I would pick this, these two verses, 25 and 26. Um, you know, just it's just amazing that the wisdom of, of God, uh, here the Lord Jesus himself, to take... Uh, the really the whole message of, of what he's trying to communicate uh, and, and to condense it down in such a profound way, right? There's so much here, and we, we unpacked a lot of that last time. But basically, it boils down to this. He, he is the sufficient one, right? Um, in fact, uh, this past week, I was, I was reviewing some of Michael Card's music and, and so forth, and El Shaddai uh, came up. My wife likes that song. I do, too. One we haven't sung here in a while, but uh, we could do that. But um, I think Mina liked that one too. But anyway, El Shaddai means what in Hebrew? Huh? God is God Almighty. That's Emmanuel. Oh, sorry. El Shaddai means God Almighty. Okay. The idea behind that is, uh, and I didn't really put it together until I saw this sort of written description of the song, uh, that he is the sufficient one. Okay, God Almighty, the sufficient one. 
And so Jesus is saying here, by using the, the, the phrase I am, right? This is one of the seven uh, great I am statements in the gospel. Um, but by using that, he ties himself back to the covenant-making God, the name that God gave himself at the commission of Moses. So there's that aspect. But that idea, even as expressed in Exodus chapter 3, is incomplete. I am what? I am that I am, right? That sort of almost sounds circular. I am. I am who I am. But he is the sufficient one, right? But to help us unpack that, it's almost like the scriptures are kind of silent on that until Jesus comes. And Jesus comes and fills in the rest of it, right? Mm -hmm. I am the bread from heaven. I am the, tr the, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I am all of these things, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I've talked about it. Maybe you're tired of hearing it, but I'm going to keep saying it. No, you know, we, have, we, have this, we have this, I call it an overboiled gospel, you know, that that's so popular that truncates Jesus down to just this, and I don't mean to belittle his atonement on the cross. I don't want to sound like that because it's extremely important, but it's not It's not all he does. He didn't just come, die for your sins, and go to heaven and kick his feet up. One of the things we're going to see as we progress in the gospel uh, is when we get into chapters 13 through 17, Jesus gives the disciples and us preview coming attractions okay those, those those chapters the upper room discourse and the high priestly prayer are full of promises of things to come both for them in the very short term and in the longer term both for them and for us and part of that is chapter 17 in which we get insight into his coming role after he dies as the lamb of god takes away the sin of the world and resurrected and ascended, what does he do after that? He is the intercessor. And so chapter 17 gives us unique insight and unique in the Gospels as to his role now. What is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding for the Father for you. If you want to get inside of that, read chapter 17 and see what's on his heart for you. It's, it's really great. Um, but so the point is, Jesus is so much more than just that figure dying on the cross for your sin. And I don't mean to, to belittle the atonement. It's extremely important. But you understand what I'm saying? That's not enough. If you have your sins forgiven in this life, but you don't have a new heart, you can't go into eternity in that state because you'll keep sinning. Right? The root cause isn't taken care of. So you've got to be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. And here, what he's saying, and that's why I say this is a summary, what he's saying here is he's taking care of both of those things. Both the internal, the inner man, and the outer man are covered in this plan of salvation, right? He is the resurrection for your body and the life for your soul. Both of those things, okay? Martha, I don't think, understood all of this yet. I'm sure later on, once the Holy Spirit came and the apostles it clicked with them and it clicked with other believers who now have the Holy Spirit residing in them and the, and the apostles really begin to teach. And post-resurrection, I've been kind of studying that how, many, how much did Jesus interface with them. And I used to think it was just on Sundays, but I'm thinking that, that he did teach them more throughout that period of time. We're not given a lot of detail about that, but I think we see the fruit of that in their writings and in their understanding later, where Jesus then post-resurrection um, 
this is again, of course, before the Holy Spirit, but he then teaches them more. And he actually says in the Upper Room Discourse, I have more things right before the cross. I have more to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. Right? So I think post-resurrection, he did give them more. And obviously with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives even more. All right, so once that happens, then I think for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and other believers, you know, especially after the Holy Spirit comes, the birth of the church, they start looking back. Oh, oh, okay, now we understand. Okay, now it starts to click, you know. All right, so Martha's response is where we are. That's verse 27. Uh, she just simply says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the, what? Christ. Does anybody's translation say Messiah? Footnote says Messiah. Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, the ESV does not do that. Okay. What is your translation? New Living? Okay. Yeah. There are several translations that, that like to use the word Messiah, the uh, Legacy Standard Bible, which is which is kind of a, a, the next maybe offshoot or generation of the New, uh, New American Standard Bible, uh, as some call it, the uh, non-Arminian Standard Bible. <laughs> Kyle got a laugh out of that. But anyway, um, uh, the NASB is a very, very, is widely respected as a very, very accurate translation. But uh, uh, John MacArthur and, and the, particularly some of those at the seminary there have taken that a little step further with the LSB. And uh, if I'm looking forward to getting my own one in print, I recommend that to you. It's now available um, by phone app and some other things too. So it's, it's becoming more widely known. But that one, the ISV, International Standard Version, uh, yours, New Living, uh, some of them use that word Messiah there. And that's fine. Uh, to be faithful to the Greek, it is Christos, right? But Messiah comes from the Hebrew, but it's the same meaning, right? And so when she says that to him, I believe that you are the Messiah, okay? As a Jew, as a Jewess, okay? Talking to a Jew, Jewish man, Jewish woman, in, in that Jewish context, that has a very special meaning and it continues on to explain that there the son of god who is coming into the world a lot of different translations that last phrase who's coming into the world phrase it differently um it, it literally means uh coming to into the world okay in, in other words what she is saying is in, in, a, in a shortened way here to fill it out more i believe you are that messiah whose promise to come into the world is being fulfilled in you, okay? You are that promised one, the hope of Israel, the hope of the nations, the one that God promised to Abraham to bless the nations through, your, through his seed, right? Singular, not seeds, plural. That's a very profound statement. Yes, it is. So when I'm, when I'm, what I think John is telling us here, the Holy Spirit through John, is that she, like the disciples, knew this truth. And this is, watch this now, this is the core statement for believers. This is the thing 
you need to believe. If you boil, if you want to boil it down, like we're talking about the over, overboiled gospel, the problem with the overboiled gospel is it is it reduces it can the danger in trying to make it like dumb it down almost in a way to, to the point where people you can explain it real easily to somebody at Walmart. And, and I'm not saying you can't you can't do that, okay? You can do that, but I think the thing that we need to point to people is not so much Jesus died for your sins, but Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who has come to offer full salvation for you. And so the, the way we're working on the on the t-shirt for our church, right? And, and BBS is not it's not BBS specific shirts. These are these are going to be generic shirts. And we're talking about the verse on the back, and we're going to do Second uh, Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, because it's such a great summary of the gospel and of our mission to proclaim it, right? Those two verses. Where Paul, um, let me just read that for you uh, quickly. Second Corinthians. No, not that one. <laughs> Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And now this is on the back of the shirt. Now think about this, okay? Stand in line, six flags or something, people can read this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. As LS, LSB actually says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. That's a, we proclaim, not the cross, Christ. Right? The cross is a very important part of what he did, but it's not the sum total of who he is and the gospel, right? And that's what he's telling her here in, in, in very short, concise summary mode. She didn't fully understand that, but she knows what. So at work, I like to I like to tell people I've been there 30 years and we got somebody new coming on board and I'll say, introducing myself, I've been here 30 years, blah, blah, the whole thing. And I say, by this point, you know, if I don't know how to answer your question directly, I probably know who to go ask, right? So this kind of, those kinds of knowledge that you know, what you what you you know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. Okay. In the area of I don't know what I don't know, it's very helpful to know somebody who does know what you don't know, right? And that's what's happening here. I think, and, and, and her statement is such a great response for us as believers because she still doesn't know that he's about to raise her brother. She doesn't fully understand what he just told her, this great summary of the gospel, right? Given right to her insight that the Old Testament prophets didn't understand. She now has that in her hands, but she doesn't fully understand. She didn't wrap her mind about it right again. That's okay because she knows who does understand and she puts her faith in him rather than in her understanding that's good because aren't we there right how many of you are still learning yeah. <laughs> jesus <laughs> both hands Amen. okay yeah we're all in that boat and thank god that he doesn't you know just you know some of the things i used to believe you know, <laughs> I'm sure I'll say that 
you know, if the Lord allows me to live another 10 years, he'd probably say the same thing. Like, boy, he's stupid, thick, you know, but the Lord is patient. And, and yes. he's, he's, you know, so again, the gospel, the gospel, listen, the gospel is less about a message per se and more about the man. Okay? The gospel is Jesus. He is the gospel. And, 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 and yes, we have to have information about him and point people to him, but say, look, he is the emissary from God the Father. He is telling you what God really thinks. Forget everybody else and what they have to say about, well, I think God's this way. You know, like one, one girl at, at UNCA years ago said, well, that's just not part of my reality. You know, Speaking of that, you know, well, my God wouldn't send people to hell then. It's not about your reality. It's not about your God. It's what does God actually say? Because when you die and stand before him, he's not a figment of your imagination. He's not some little clay toy in Sunday school that you can roll and twist and bend however you want, right? It doesn't matter what you say about yourself in the end. It matters what God says about you. And he's pointed to the son and says, that's my son. In him I am well pleased. And anybody who's in him falls into that category, not because of what they've done, but because of what he has done, right? So point people to Jesus. That's what it's all we do. We just well, take well, them to Jesus. Well, the book of John is so important for young Christians to read. Reads and reads and That's exactly right. I mean, the whole rest of the Bible is so very important, but the book of John is like, bam. I mean, it's, it's Jesus. That's right. That's right. That's a great insight. You want blind? <laughs> no, good. Good. That's good, good. Thank you. That's exactly right. The whole gospel is all about him. And, and that's what Paul told the Corinthians, right? He said, I resolve to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Okay. In other words, yes, we, we, we look at the cross, but it's not the cross. It's the one on it. And what is he doing there? But he didn't just, like R.C. Sproul said, show up on the weekend, go to the cross, and then go to heaven, right? He has his whole life before. In fact, even in eternity past, he was meeting with Moses at the burning bush. He was, he was the captain of the Lord's army standing there with Joshua. He was meeting with, with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was the one scooping up that dirt with his hands and breathing into the nostrils and breath of life with intimate fellowship with men. All of those things is this person. He is the emissary, the agent, the Messiah of God. Can't say that. All right. Fired up about that. But that's what she's saying there is, is the perfect response. She doesn't understand all of what he just said. We probably understand more than she did at that moment. In fact, I'm certain, certain of it. We have the book. We have the book. We have the, all the, the disclosure of all of it. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us, all that. Yeah. Thousands of years of church history. Yeah. We don't know how lucky we are. We do. We, are, we really, yeah. We really I wouldn't have the word love. Maybe fortune. Blessed. Yeah. yeah blessed. blessed. Okay. So uh, with that said, let's uh, pass out our next set of notes here. Um, David? Put this to you. Have a go by your oh. <laughs> See, I think I may have enough. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. 
Um, I can put one in. Yeah, you mind? No, I don't mind. Making uh, maybe. Let's see here. Let's do this. Let me get. Piece, piece. I may one. Why don't we do three more? We have a couple spares. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Good man. I don't care what Larry says. Hey, Jay. All right. Jay, that's the song she's singing this morning. What we singing this morning. Okay. I I said last week, and um, I said last week we were going to try to take this next big chunk from from verse 28 to verse verse 44 as one thing. But as I got into it, I was like, no, we really kind of need to break this up into two parts, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Um, and uh, so as you see there on your notes, the title is Jesus Wept. Um, everybody's favorite verse as a kid, you get a quarter for memorizing a verse. I guess when I was a kid, that was significant. You could buy a candy bar with a quarter. So, uh, today that's me anyway. So five dollars for a verse. Larry and I were when Larry and I were little, you could buy a gallon of gas for four. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <And> Larry. <laughs> when he was little, they didn't have gas yet. <laughs> At least not the kind you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. I, I'm sorry, man. I apologize. All right, stop it. Let's, all right, here we go. Um, but uh, but. The Bible that I have here, this particular one, uh, you know, has those section headers, which are paragraph headers, and it's actually got the same title there. And I, I, I came to that conclusion independently, and I was glad to see that they agreed with me. So, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to break, break this up, starting at verse 28, and then going through 38a. Okay, so we want to save the actual encounter at the tomb for the next set of notes. But this is this is the run up as Jesus is approaching. Um, he's now coming to Bethany. He's on the outskirts yet. He doesn't actually come into town, um, but he's on the outskirts. And uh, this is what happens just before the whole raising of Lazarus part, the actual, you might say, epicenter of the story. Okay, So. The thing that I'm concerned about, and I've been looking forward to getting into this part because you see that little table I put on your notes there. I did a word study um, probably a year or so back when I was in this chapter uh, with the other Bible study. Um, and because I really struggled with why is Jesus weeping, right? And, and probably you have too. I remember Werner talking about this verse is the shortest verse in the English Bible, John eleven thirty five, right? Just two words, Jesus wept, right? That's why, of course, I joke about every kid's favorite verse, you know, for memorizing. Um, but I remember, I remember uh, Werner saying that when he was um, a young man, he didn't, you know, think it was very manly to cry, but he was responding in church, I think it was, uh, to the gospel, and he was weeping, and the, and the, and the, uh, the pastor took him to that verse, and, and I remember him saying, you know, the deep voice in his accent, you know, well, Jesus could weep, and I felt like it was hard for me. And that, that's good, that's good. I'm, uh, the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, took that verse. And, and there is some of that, right? I mean, Jesus feels our infirmities. He, he wept, he was a man, uh, a human, a person, 
like we are. He has a genuine, it's not, you know, fake. It's a genuine, uh, yeah, Debbie, um, Debbie or Larry, one of the two need, need one, and then I'll take the others. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate it. Keep you on your toes here. Yeah. Earn your paycheck. That's right. Um, but as you as you study this and you look at commentators and what people say about it, they have all kinds of different opinions. It runs all over. Uh, and, and so I was trying, okay, what's going on here? And then I started studying it and I noticed, well, wait a minute, it's not just weeping, but there's a lot of emotion in this section. It's a lot of emotion. Not just Jesus, but Mary and the Jews also are weeping and they're expressing lament. And um, so whenever you kind of run into this kind of thing, and different translations translate it a little differently, you know. So in those kind of circumstances, um, it's, it's important to dig into the original language, and that's what we're doing here, okay? So without any further ado, let's go through what it says on your notes there. Everybody with me? Okay, we're in the notes now. So if you would follow along. The emotions of Mary, the Jews, and Jesus. Our text contains the shortest verse in the English Bible. By the way, it's not the shortest verse in the Greek Bible. I think it was one of Jude. I can't remember what it is. That's it. Anyway, doesn't matter. So Jesus wept, verse 35. There has been a lot of debate about why Jesus was weeping. Here are three potential reasons that present themselves from the text. Okay. The first two particularly are the ones that, that I encountered most. Um, I think that you'll find a lot of people hold to these. First is he was weeping for the loss of his friend. Second is he was influenced by the grieving of the sisters and the Jews. And third, he was emotionally affected by the unbelief of everyone around him. It's like a multiple choice test question, right? Which circle the right one? Number three. Okay. Are they all, all the above? Number four. All they've got number four. Okay. okay. Well, let's let's keep reading and see what the right answer is. <laughs> the first reason to present itself is the obvious thought that perhaps he was grieving for the loss of his dear friend Lazarus. We can quickly dismiss this, however. Why? Because we know that Jesus already knew the Father's purpose here was to glorify himself and the Son by raising Lazarus from the dead. So go back to verses 4, and remember context is key, right? Context is key. Um, verse 4 of the same chapter, but when Jesus heard it, that is uh, the, the news that he was ill, Lazarus, <clears throat> he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the what? What's the purpose? God's glory. The glory of God. Okay. There's purpose behind it. It's not a meaningless loss. You know, it's it's not grieving. You know, and it's okay to grieve when, when you when you lose someone like your you know your mom or your dad or whoever. Somebody's really close to you. Um, okay. I like what Paul says. We grieve, but not as those without hope. Right. Um, because we know that there's purpose behind everything that happens. And so 
he is he is saying this is for the, uh, the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it right so both the Father and the Son are about to receive glory Jesus knows this he knows that what the, that there's purpose behind it but he not only knows there's purpose behind it, he knows what that purpose is so if you keep reading um, there in verses 14 and 15 it says then Jesus told them plainly Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that why? You may believe. Glad that I was not there, so you may believe. Believe what? Believe what? Uh, I don't think they doubted that Lazarus died. Believe in the resurrection? Yeah. Believe in him. Believe in him. Yeah, right. He's trying to get them to understand that he's the whole package. He's He is, put your faith and trust in him. Right? What does that say about the disciples at this point? Well, they're human. Not superhuman. Yeah, they're, right. They're, they're tangible, but they're like Martha, who... Who believe he's the Messiah, but they don't quite fully put together just how much of an extent that covers, right? That he is completely in charge, sovereign. He is the El Shaddai. He is the God Almighty in flesh. And he had to keep repeating to them. He had to keep repeating to them who he was and what he was going to do. Yeah. Repetition. Just like he does. They're get, exactly. They're getting there. They're getting there. They're, they're seeing more and more. And, and listen, and you're witnessing to people, you know, um, we don't need to give them a whole, we don't need to give them all of this, just just pointing them to the Lord. Like, like, that's why I like those two, two verses given we read from 2 Corinthians 5. Because we are pleading to them, Paul summarizes this way, be reconciled to God. How can you be reconciled? How can you, a sinner, be reconciled to a holy God? Through Christ. Point them to him. Trust in him. Come to him. Right? But but it's what it tells us here is that the the, the disciples didn't fully understand all of this yet. They, they they had no idea what he was about ready to do. So let's keep reading in our notes here. It is a stretch to think that he would feel the the sense of loss because he knows that they are that he is. That they are all about to receive Lazarus back. He knows that he's going to go down and raise him. He knows that. He knows that God is God the Father and God the Son are going to receive glory in a big time way here. This is a big display. Big display. In fact, as I've said, I think it's the most significant public sign that he ever did. Okay? And so it's it's big time glory for the Father and the Son. Jesus knows this. So I think the first reason why he wept can be quickly dismissed that he was just feeling the loss of why would he be crying about feeling a sense of loss that Lazarus had died when he's about to raise him and put it blunt okay doesn't make sense so the second reason number two that he was influenced by the grieving of the sisters and the Jews the second reason again back to your notes the second reason comes closer to the mark and is not without scriptural support the Bible does touch on his emotion that all people experience in this life. 
Okay, so from uh, fifth gospel, as it's affectionately sometimes called, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of what? Sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Then look at the second verse there. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who, but one who in what? Every respect has been tempted. That could be translated tested as well, not just tempted with sin. Testing, testing includes temptation, but it's broader than that too, right? It's, it's just those times of weaknesses when your faith is really shaken. Or your, your emotions are overwhelming you, as in this case, yet without sin. So we don't, when we approach this high, remember we talked a second ago about his intercession, what he's doing now. You want insight into that? Read chapter 17. It'll give you some preview coming attractions. He's interceding for us. And when we go to him, <clears throat> we go to the Father through him, we say we're praying in Jesus' name. What we're doing is lots of things, but one of the things is we're saying we have a high priest who understands emotion and who is touched deeply by sadness and disappointment and anger and laughter and all of these things that we experience the highs and the lows of life okay jesus experienced it too okay so i i do think that a strong argument can be made for that second reason that he's just being human and he's feeling the the you know uh, one commentator, I think it was John, actually said it talks about you know, weeping at seeing just the, the the consequences of sin and and the death that had to be that that God has to bring in as a result of the wages of sin is death, right? And and you're seeing that live right there and the consequences of it and the hurt that everybody feels and the loss of this dear friend. There is something of that, and I don't want to discount that. Okay, but let's keep reading in the notes here. While this could certainly play a part in the reason for his weeping, the main theme of this chapter is what? What's the main theme of this chapter? Belief versus unbelief, right? It's really belief that you may believe, okay? But we do see this chapter shows us what happens with those who don't believe as well. Their hearts actually get harder, okay? That's, that's coming near the tail end of the chapter. So... The main theme of this chapter is belief versus unbelief, kind of the choice, if you will, to believe or not, okay? That's the main theme. So this explains for us the main reason for his emotional reaction. Don't miss the word main there. I'm not saying that he isn't grieving because he, he is touched by their grief as well. He is touched by it, okay? That's what I think verse 35 particularly is saying. But there are other verses that express strong emotion will look at in more detail it's a it's a it's a larger picture than just he was weeping okay right so um we say emotion as opposed to just weeping or grieving because he displays emotions that are more complicated than just weeping from sadness a quick word study from the greek makes this clear okay so look down at that table everybody with me we'll, we'll refer back to this as we get into the text in more detail in verse, in verse 33, the word weeping is used, and it applies to both Mary and the Jews, okay? A 
It says that they came to him weeping. And the meaning in the Greek, and I put the little Strong's number there, so it makes it real easy for you to look this up on your own. Uh, in your own Bible software, just plug that little number in, it'll give you the Greek meaning. Okay, it means wailing, a loud, audible cry. Then in verses 33 and 38, we have the same word that is translated groaned or groaning in the ESV and some other translations is translated deeply moved. Okay. I like the, the King James groaned or groaning because the, that English comes closer to what this actually means. This is applied only to Jesus. And it means to snort with anger, indignation, to sigh with chagrin or to murmur against. Wow. That, where's the sadness? There, there's actually some agitation. There's a little anger there. Interesting. Okay. So, yes. So in verse 33, it's, it's applied to in his spirit. Okay, so he groaned in his spirit, it says. Okay, and it says that of Jesus. And it's the word pneuma uh, in the Greek, which you may be familiar with, which, which means what? Breath, right? Same, it's the word that we get pneumonia from. Okay, not ammonia, pneumonia. Say it with me. Okay. Um, it, it, it refers to the human spirit or the soul. I don't mean to draw distinctions there. It really means the inner person. Okay, it means the inner person. We talked about that last time. <clears throat> that there, we're not a, tri, tri, a, a triune being where there's two parts of you, the internal and the external. And this is referring to that inner person. Okay, it's the, it, it can also refer to the rational mind, the part of that inner person that is the mind itself or the mental disposition. Pay attention to that last phrase, particularly the mental disposition. So in applying those two words together, what it's saying is Jesus was agitated in his mental disposition. Okay, he was disappointed, you might even say angry in his mental disposition. That's what it says. Surprising. You're surprised? Yes, I thought it was sad, not angry at him. That's why we do a fuller study here, right? We get a sense of, I mean, I think there is definitely sadness here, but there's more to it than that. This is a complex mix of emotion. This isn't, you know, when you make a, when you make a recipe, you make bread, you don't just dump flour in, 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 a, in, a, in a pan and stick in the oven, right? You have to mix it all together. This is an emotional recipe. There are many ingredients here with Jesus. Okay, there's a lot, lot going on, and that's why we dig into it. Okay, so then look at this uh, third, I guess that's the fourth row on your table. Verse 33, still, <clears throat> it says that he was greatly troubled. Okay, this is Jesus, applied to Jesus, greatly troubled. I think the King James just simply says troubled. <laughs> I like the ESV emphasizing, they added that extra uh, adverb in there. Uh, to emphasize to us the one Greek word, the strength of this Greek word, okay? Uh, this, is a, this is an emotional word. So whereas the phrase before, it, groaning in his spirit, is referring to a mental disposition, here it's referring to his emotional state, okay? It's saying that he is stirred up. It means to stir, to agitate, to royal water as in stirring it up, 
It's like stirring up the emotions, okay? He really becomes, now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, how did John know this? He was there. Well, he was there. Okay, I know he was there. We all know that. But Jesus isn't saying anything that, now, he could have maybe said some things that John didn't record, but I, how, how do people express their emotions? Facial features. Body language. But what we say is a big part of it. So maybe, again, maybe he did say some things that aren't recorded and the way he said it. But that's not all, right? I mean, Dad has <clears> talked about <throat> this. You know how, how cats have all the muscles in those ears, all the different muscles they can turn their ears. But they have almost no facial expressions, right? Um, as people, you know, we have all kinds of facial expressions, right? The raised eyebrow, right? Inherited from his mom, you know? All of those, all of those things—the smiles, the frowns, the um, what about sighing? Body language. What did I just Here we go again, stupid people. Never <laughs> what about the body? When, when I say something, Dad would just look at me. If you're messing up in church, Dad will do this. <laughs> right? Yeah. And somebody is sitting around the campfire and somebody says something that Jesus just Yeah. That carries a lot of weight after three years. Everybody knew what he just said. Yeah. yeah. And you and you get to know that that's a great yeah. point about the experience. They had been with him, this is very close to the end of his public ministry, right? So they've been with him about three years. And and when you well, nearly so. Yeah. Yeah, nearly so. Um you, when you get to really know somebody like this, you know the, the, their own way of expressing how they feel, right? By what they're saying or by what they're not saying. You know, like Debbie says, you know she's really upset with you when she's not talking. You know? <laughs> Very rare. <laughs> yeah. You said, not only by what they're saying, but what they're not saying or how they're saying it or how they're not saying it. Emotion, there's a lot of ways we communicate emotion. So it's just interesting to me that John knew enough about Jesus to know that, you know, yes, it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But but as far as we can tell from the text, these are not anything that, this is not anything that Jesus verbalized. He's about to, okay, in, in, in a way, but he doesn't really verbalize this emotion. He doesn't let all this come out per se. He's already said what needed to be said with Martha in terms of their unbelief, okay? But he is he is feeling and, 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 and both mentally and emotionally the weight of this. Okay. So then the last emotion word, bottom row on your table. Verse 35, of course, Jesus wept. That's where we get our title from. And it applies to who? That's not hard, Jesus. Right? Okay. This is the only place in this chapter where this word occurs. And it means to shed tears or to weep silently. So just tears were coming down from his eyes. And we're going to look at, when we get there, we'll look at how the Jews misinterpreted that. And I think that throws people off sometimes when they read that verse. You know, we kind of skip over the, this other verse, verse 3. Where's most of the emotion happening? Verse 33, right? Verse 33 is the main emotion. We read 35, oh, Jesus wept, ooh, and we're all enamored with that, but we lose, most emotions happening outside of that verse, okay? So don't miss that. 
And, and so people, when people read verse 35, and then they read verse 36 comes after it, and the Jews said, oh, look how he loved him. And, they, and I think they, they say, oh, well, that's Jesus. He's weeping because he just feels the loss of, no, 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 no. Don't miss the context, right? Context is key to understanding. So let's read this last paragraph together, and then we'll be done. Putting all this together, <clears throat> we conclude that Jesus' reaction to seeing Mary and the Jews, Jews' disbelief was one of both his mind and his emotions. While he was touched by their grief, he was more disappointed and even agitated by their persistent, stubborn disbelief that he was the Messiah, the witness from the Father that he claimed to be, and that he was, watch this, able to overcome even the seemingly permanent loss. <clears throat> This is why we believe this to be the greatest public sign he performed because it showed unquestioned mastery over death and put to death permanently any lingering doubt as to who he was. That is the essence of the whole gospel, that you may know Jesus, know who he was, who he claimed to be, and believing that may have life in his name, right? That's the whole point. And this, this chapter strongly supports that theme of the whole gospel, really. Okay? That's why I say context is key to understanding. Um, so, yes, he did feel emotion, uh, sadness by the fact that death has to be there. But you know what? The real travesty is not that Lazarus died, but that people don't believe him. That's the real travesty. And the Jews, we're going to see this, we get, the Jews misinterpret his tears as crying for Lazarus when he is crying for them. And he's disciples. weeping over them. And his disciples. And his disciples. And Mary. And Martha. They all, when we see Martha, read Martha, or, uh, read Mary's words and then compare them to Martha's. They're the same. Same exact statement. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. And she falls at his feet. And she's weeping as she's saying it. Interesting how many times Mary shows up at Jesus' feet. Okay. And, 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 and so, Mary, you too? You know, I mean, the sense of disappointment, righteous anger, perhaps, at their hardness of heart to believe. Oh, you of little faith and slow of heart to what? Believe. I'm sure there were lots of people who yeah. died that didn't get raised, yes. So, see, that might be part of it, too. Mm -hmm. Aunt Sarah died, and she didn't get raised from the dead, so why shouldn't we expect this to be any different? <clears throat> yeah, and, and the, but they're caught up in the culture and everything, but, and, and I understand that. I'm not saying that they aren't, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't really, re, really strongly rebuke them here. I mean, really, the sign itself does the rebuking. Okay. He's already told Martha in a, in a very gracious way, he's kind of rebuked her by saying, I am the resurrection of life. You know, in other words, like he tells his disciples in the upper room, you believe in God, what? Believe also in me. You know, you, you say you believe in God, you pay him all his lip service, show it by believing in me. 
Put your trust in me. But he's not, he doesn't rebuke them for weeping and wailing. I mean, it's just what you did, especially in that culture, and they were wealthy. And you just hired those mourners to come in, and those women would mourn and carry on, and they would drum up all this emotion, right? And it would be days of weeping, and you just get into this, this somber mode, you know. I mean, you know how it is. You go to a funeral, you just, just organ music playing, you know, and this whole thing. <clears throat> he doesn't rebuke him for that. What he's what he's really the rebuke here centers on the fact that everybody from his disciples to Martha to Mary, to the Jews, none of them express faith that he's about to turn this around. None of them. None of them. I like what MacArthur said. I don't know if he's in perfect laughter, but when I listened to it, that he said he was heartbroken. And he said that he was heartbroken for his, I think he even mentioned his disciples first. He said because of all the times that he had showed them who he was. And he even told them, that's why I'm not going. So you'll see that they, they may be glorified. He just told them that before they left. Right. And so when all this happens and he gets there, the emotions are there and, and everything. And I think he probably didn't want to stress that, that he was a lot of disciples. And he was still heartbroken for the other, the Jews and Mary and Martha, for, for them not totally understanding, hey, I'm here, okay? But I think a lot of it was, as MacArthur said, it was for his disciples because they had been with him for years and he had just verbally told them, that's why we're waiting, you know? He's God. He could have done it from where he's at, but he did not. He choose, chose to go there to show them visually that he is the Messiah. But I was just, you know, I. Number three, to me, is, is it. It's nothing else. To me, is number three, because I do believe that he was heartbroken and the emotion of the human part of him, the tears came out because the key word is what you said earlier, grief versus unbelief. It was the unbelief that got him right. And when we don't believe, I think it breaks his heart. And I don't even know if he tears in heaven, but I'm sure that he is watching. Showed you, you have to work. And we all do it. We all fall, we all stumble. And I, I, I look at that and I think, well, that's me. That's me that he's looking at. For my doubting in him, my unbelief in him sometimes because I want to do it myself. Or, oh, that's too far gone. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, I. I think it's what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that when you feel disappointment in your own unbelief or the disappointment of others who don't believe, you are not alone in that. Yeah, he feels that too. He feels that too. The same one who's weeping here, and like you say, Rick, it, it, Bible doesn't say whether he's weeping in heaven or not, but I can guarantee you, again, go go read chapter 17. The more I'm spending time in that, the more I'm realizing uh, what that really is. That's that's our key to understanding his intercessory ministry now. And he is deeply concerned for his disciples and for those who believe on him through their testimony. And he wants all of us to be one. And when there's not unity, when there's disunity in the church, he feels that. When there's when there's 
there's a lack of belief and there's disunity with between us and the father and the son because we don't want to trust god on the level that we need to be we're not making that great he feels that he feels that you know, but back in verse 22, when um, Martha had said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, grief can really cause some major problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we can really, deep in our heart, want to believe. You know, that this is God's purpose on Debbie's eye, you know, and stuff. Just like, I know that this is not just a random act, you know, in my life. There is purpose in this particular grief or struggle or whatever I'm going through. But grief can really get us, um, like, get us from looking. really like kind of pull us apart or get us unfocused or get us like grief is just a terrible thing i mean it just is uh you know and so here you know mary and and martha both i'm i really think and the the disciples too i mean like really 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 what if you believe (laughs) i think they really did but grief and and uh other things can happen to us that we just it just gets us unfocused it really does. I mean, we're human. It just looks on our mouths, you know. So I mean, here their heart is like ripped out. It's ah. especially when it's the disciples. Like, oh, you gotta get focused again, and it's hard, you know, for Jesus to say, "Gotta believe." You know, I know that they were both probably going, "We really want to," but our heart is like out of our body at the moment, you know. Yeah. Really, it's a hard That's right. thing. Sometimes we forget that because they're so close to God, we think that Satan is, is out of the picture landed. Mm-hmm. He, he's not working, working as well in part of that disbelief. Like, how in the world can this happen? You know, that seems that there were two other recorded resurrections. They had witnessed that, or at least part of them had, had witnessed that. You know, and, and Satan puts that doubt in their in their hearts as well. I mean, they're not just like we're not uh, we're not protected by that, so to speak, not having that doubt. That's part of our human nature. As long as we live here, and we can't use that for a crutch. But it is it is reality, you know. So, that, so, so to me, it's real easy to forget that Satan is involved in their lives just like he is in That's a great point. As well as the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit <coughs> and Satan are, are often those unseen forces going on. You can see the reaction. The, how do you make the invisible visible, right? By its result. So you can see. That's a great point. Even and Job's how, wife, you know, even Job's wife, you know, it got mm-hmm. to a point. I mean, everything was destroyed, and all of her children were destroyed. And I mean, everything just—it's gone. And after a while, I mean, Job was even 
It's just the whole thing. It's just like, okay, you know what? Just curse God and die. You know, but I don't believe that she was a, a bad wife or an ungodly woman. I mean, I think that she really was. I mean, it just got to the point where it just like was huge, right? Just like, you put enough pressure in the pipes that eventually spring leaks, right? Satan the weak, the weak just... points of our character. <clears throat> I like to say, um, and this this came through to me when I was we were going through some really, I was going through some really strong circumstances and we were, we were test. I was at work one day and, and somebody this is before COVID had brought in some some donuts, you know, a, a mix of a dozen or so donuts. And I was going there and grab one, and a number of them were filled donuts you know and i was thinking you know the only way that i can know what's in those is to squeeze them <laughs> and then i thought well it's kind of funny but in a way you know what what that's the way we are too yes, as a person whatever whatever you're full of comes out whenever you're squeezed and if you're full of faith it's going to come out like job but even job said i cursed the day i was born right i mean he was in despair deep despair it doesn't mean he doesn't struggle with his faith or that you know it's just that whatever you're full of comes out when you're squeezed but jesus wrestled with yes he did and also interesting john in revelation i was saying while you were talking that same word of weeping out loud he used the apostle john when no one was found worthy to open the scroll and it said john wept and wept out loud yeah all right let's close in prayer <clears throat> Father, it's been a it's been a good study today. It's good to be reminded of the fact that we we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but was touched in every point as we are, yet without sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you were squeezed by these circumstances, your love poured out to these people. Because you want them to believe, you want them to put their full faith and trust you and God the Father and you know what you're about to do here and yet we see that that emotion come out through your human nature we thank you that that's still the case that when we approach you or even when we don't even when we doubt and when we go through grief that sometimes leads to depression and other things um, and we wonder do you really care like you say you do I'm going to pause and think that, that there's an emotion response from your part, too. And I sometimes, like Rick says, sometimes I wonder if you don't weep for our unbelief. Forgive us for that. Help us to be stronger in our belief. And uh, I thank you that you do bring trials along to help us grow in that. Things that seem impossible that you find a way through. That we can learn to have stronger faith in who you are and the sufficiency of your complete plan of salvation that you're bringing. There's no loose ends with you. Everything is tied up in the end. We thank you for that. And we pray we might trust you even more. In Jesus' name. Thank you.